Amen. I ask you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, as we look at this theme of hope, and this is not some blind hope. This is not some blind faith. This is not some I wish. It's not pie in the sky. It's not anything like that. When we're talking about hope, we're talking about something that has to be rooted so that it has substance. So when we're talking about hope, when it comes to Advent, when it comes to expectation, the people of Israel had an expectation that God would keep his promises. And what's interesting is as you look through the history of Israel, you will see that those who kept that hope were kept in the promise. Those who lost that hope lost the promise. They missed the promise. And we want to be people of hope in a time where we long for Jesus to come again. We're looking for the second advent of Jesus. Amen? We want Him to return. We're longing for Him to return. That's the reason why your Bible basically ends with, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Right? It's because we want Him to come again. But when we look back to the first advent, we look back to the first coming, we look back to this expectation of Israel, there's a lot that we need to learn about longing for the second advent. A lot that we need to learn about who we are now and how we live within God's covenant and how that covenant has spread to us through Jesus. So, in chapter 12 of Genesis, you see Abram. You see a man who's been called out of his land, a man who's being called out by God, chosen by God, plucked out of his life, a life that was full of idolatry, a life where his father was an idol worshiper. He did not, his family did not worship the Lord God. Think of it this way. He wasn't a church goer. He didn't grow up in VBS. He didn't know none of that stuff was true of Abram. Abram is called out of darkness into light. And God makes a covenant with Abram. And that covenant is that he would be Abram's God. And that he would make of him a great nation and all the nations would be blessed. And if you look at chapter 12, you see the beginning of this relationship between God and the people that would come through Abraham's line. So I want you to follow along, if you would, your copy of God's word, Genesis chapter 12. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So, in other words, you've never been to where I'm taking you. You're going to go and I'm going to I'm going to show you where to go. He doesn't say, remember that one place you went on vacation? That's where I want you to move, right? He says, you've never been there. I'm going to show you. This is a faith exercise that is going to test Abram. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Let's make sure we understand this for just a second. God is going to bless him so that he will be great, not so that he can bask in the blessing, but so that he can be a blessing. And he continues on. He says, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abram's life in his tree that will follow is meant to be a conduit of God's blessing to the entire world, that all the world would be blessed. I just want to make sure we understand that what God is doing to Abraham and in Abraham is giving a promise. We see in Abram's relationship with God this promise that's given and a covenant that's made. You can go forward, and I encourage you to do this. We're going to do a little traveling today because I want you to see how this whole thing fits together. Go to chapter 17, and Abram now 99 years old, so time has passed, and Abram's probably going, and we know he's going, I don't have a kid yet. 
how's this whole family thing going to work out? God, you made a promise, trusting your promise, but not seeing this coming to fruition. I'm now old. My wife is old and barren. How's this going to happen? This is what God says in chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. So here's what God says. I'm making a promise to you. And then he covenants with Abram that there's a two-sided reality. There's a relationship that's going to be built. I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. And if you continue reading in chapter 17, what God then does is he puts himself in the place of Abram and says, and I'm going to make sure this happens by keeping both sides of this covenant. I'm going to keep my side of it and be faithful. and I'm going to keep your side because you're not going to be faithful. And I'm going to make sure that this covenant is forever. But let's just hold off for just a second. How is it possible that one guy, a speck on the earth, and a little speck of land and dirt on the earth, could then become a blessing to the entire world, that all the families of the earth would be blessed? That the whole world would be blessed? Obviously, Abram's not going to travel that much, right? I mean, camels only go so far and so fast, right? I mean, how in the world are we then evidence that God has kept this promise? Well, this is where it it becomes really interesting. See, when, when we tend to think about the nations, we tend to think about everybody else. But when Abraham would have thought about the nations, he probably would have been thinking about some people who may look like us. See, we're the nations when the Bible talks about the nations. You guys get that, right? We have a very American-centered way of reading the Bible. But if you read the Bible from the context here, we're the nations. We're the people who will be blessed by Abram. We're the people whose line comes from Abraham. Well, I don't know that I can trace myself all the way back to Abraham. That would be really great. In fact, a lot of Jews tried to do that in Jesus' day all the time. It was a sign of great respect. The, the further back you could trace your line. But I don't know that that's exactly what he's getting at here. It seems that there's something greater in play, and that greater reality has to do with the promise itself. And so how do we take God's promise to Abraham and understand how God is continuing to work today. Look at chapter 15 of Genesis. Right here in the middle, between 12 and 17, if you were like Abraham, and I was like Abraham, and if you're like me, you'd need some signs and symbols to go on, right? You need something to help me understand what God's going to do. And this is what God does. And look at verses 1 through 6 of chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. 
But Abraham, Abram said, O Lord God, what shall you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And here's the key. This becomes the key to the whole family. The key to the whole blessing. The key to the whole covenant. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. As we look at the grand scope of God's narrative in the Old Testament, leading us to Jesus, that expectation of Jesus, at the heart of this hope is a faith is an understanding, hope that leads to faith that God will keep His promises, that God's promises are true, that His covenant will be fulfilled. And so fast forward, what we see is that while in Abraham we see the promise given and the covenant made, in Jesus, who is the promised one, the Messiah, we see the promise kept and the covenant fulfilled. So Abram is always just going to be a shadow. Jesus is going to end up being the substance. So today we can look back at the story of Abraham. We can look back at the person of Jesus as he walked around on this earth. And we can look forward to the day when we'll see Jesus face to face. And in all three of those, we can see God's covenant promises being kept. And now we are partakers of that covenant. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news that we have a God who has been keeping his promises all along? That he's keeping his covenant and we as the people of God now get to stand in line with Abram, with Isaac and Jacob, with David. We get to stand in that line of faith, understanding that we have a standing in God because God's promises are true. So in the covenant made with Abraham, there is hope. And if you're like me this time of the year, hope is what I need, right? I mean... We got one day to thank God, right? The next day to curse everybody out in the parking lot, right? I mean, just being honest, it's the way the world works right now, right? I mean, we moved past Thanksgiving like really, really quickly, didn't we? You get you, you get your turkey coma. Wake up from the turkey coma is like it's just there to fuel spending money. That then by January you're going to be really wishing you didn't spend. I mean, it's kind of the way we operate this time of the year. And it's this hectic busyness of the season where I don't anybody else, you look at your calendar right now for December and you're like, how in the world are we going to do all of this stuff, right? It's family this, work this, friends this, church that, and there's something going on every day or at least every weekend. And you're like, well, how are we going to fit all of this in? But you feel this obligation. It's an obligation that you have to meet all of those requests. You can't say no. Thank the Lord that I'm just mean, so I just say no now. I'm just like, no, sorry, not going to make it. Uh, But no, I mean, it's one of those things. We feel that obligation this time of the year, don't we? We feel that obligation to be busy. And it doesn't seem like it's going to end. How sad a statement is it, if we're being honest, that we long for Christmas to be done with so that we can be less busy. We can say we love Christmas Aren't you just ready for it to be over? What changes that? 
when we begin to see ourselves not rooted in what's going to happen in the next 30 days, but instead what's going to happen in the next 30 trillion years. When our hope is built on Christ's righteousness, begins to change everything that happens in this season. You're talking about 30 days here, folks. Right? And God operates in trillions of years. He operates in eternity. So, His covenant becomes something we can come to and say, I put my hope in His promises, in His covenant, and then everything else begins to make sense. So I want you to see some hope in God's covenant. The first thing we see is that God's covenant is eternal. So there is hope because God's covenant is eternal. It will not fail. God promised it. He's going to do it. So I'll just ask you the question really simply. It's a simple question. If God can thousands of years ago speak a covenant and make a covenant and even cut open an animal and walk between the parts of the animal to demonstrate his covenant. If God could do that thousands of years ago and you can see that he has been faithful up until now to keep his covenant and he's made a promise that that covenant truth is going to be there in eternity and we are going to rest in his promises. Can he take care of your job? Can he take care of your family? I I just wonder what it is that we be, that gets us into this place of despair and worry this time of the year. Could it be that our eyes just shifted down a little bit, began to shift down onto our troubles and shifted off of our hope? We forgot that His covenant is eternal. It will not fail. He will not forsake His people. He promised that He will be our God. We will be His people. He he says it plainly that this will be to generations. He says that it's an everlasting covenant. This is a covenant that will last, verse 7 of 17, throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. It will not fail. He will not forsake His people. Because His covenant is secured by His character. God spoke it. We can believe it. Now, how good are promises? I mean, people make promises. They say, hey, I'll see you Thursday. Some people you go, all right, well, it'll probably be 15 minutes early, right? Some people say, hey, I'll see you Thursday. And you go, we'll see. Right? Some people say, I'll see you Thursday. And you go, like, 2021? Which Thursday? You're with me, right? As soon as somebody makes a promise, it's only as good as the character of the person making the promise, isn't it? What's God's character? Perfect, holy, loving, kind, justice, mercy, right? His character is all wrapped up in this promise. When he makes a promise, his name is at stake when he makes that promise. And he will not allow... His promises to not be kept because His name will be defamed. His promise is as good as His character. His covenant is secured by His character. But I want you to see this because I think this is the greatest truth of all. Look at chapter 17. Look at verse 8. This is is part of the eternal nature of God's covenant and one of those things that that should touch us in such a way that gives us real hope this season. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, 
for an everlasting possession. Look at this. And I will be their God. If you look in Revelation, here's the hope of what heaven looks like. When heaven and earth become one, you know what it is? I will dwell with my people. I will be their God and they will be my people. Think about this. This is what we're talking about. That God in the covenant makes the reward of the covenant himself. Why would he do that? Because there's no better reward. If God made anything other than himself the reward, he would be forcing us into idolatry, wouldn't he? So what does he do? He says, I'm the best. I'm the reward. I am your reward. I am the promise of the covenant. You get me, he says. I will be your God. You will be my people. That's the hope of the covenant. Secured by his character, found in himself. We will be his people and he will be our God. Now, I don't know about you, but that gives me that beginning place for hope. That if it's if this promise is rooted in God's character, I can begin right now to set my hope there. I, I have a sure foundation for my hope. But where are we placing our hope? Right? Where are we placing our hope throughout this world? And why is it that we're not drawn to more and more faith in God, but instead we find ourselves falling further and further away? Why is it that our world and our churches and our families deviate from God's plan more often than we actually come in line with God's plan? What is it? Well, I think throughout the Old Testament you can see, and then in Jesus' day you can see as well, that what really happens is hope... And what our hope is in defines what our faith is in. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says it pretty plainly there. Hebrews 11:1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. <laughs> so faith is rooted in hope. Are you with me? Do you see how that works? Faith is being sure of what we hope for. Now, if your hope is placed on something that's constantly shifting, where's your faith going to be? Constantly shifting, right? Are you with me? Everybody, last week you talked back. I don't know what the deal is. I mean, I know he looked different than me, but come on. Right? So, your hope is shifting. Your hope shifts focus. Your hope shifts location. What's going to happen to your faith? It's going to shift, right? It's going to continually shift. If your hope is on something that is insecure, How secure is your faith? Everybody's with me now, right? So your faith is being sure of what you hope for. How can you be sure of what you hope for? Because it's rooted in something that's sure. Otherwise, you can't be sure. So I've been a Seahawks fan for years. I never know what to expect from these guys every time they take the the field. Don't know what to expect. Many of you have been Redskins fans for years. I mean, if you're a Dallas fan, you know exactly what to expect. They're going to choke in the fourth quarter, right? I mean, it's just the way it works. But, I mean, we don't know. When our teams take the field, we go, some of us just don't have hope, right? We go, well, there goes that guy getting injured. There goes that guy. All hope is going out the window. I mean, the fact is sports are a great indicator of how shifty our hope is, isn't it? Right? And, and you, you get really up and really down and really up and really down. It's a good exercise in what hope and faith is not supposed to look like. 
But the author of Hebrews tells us that faith is surety, assurance of what we hope for. And what we learn from Abram's life is, in chapter 15, he believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. In fact, we're told that it's impossible to please God without faith. So at the, at the core of what it is to be people of hope, we have to understand that hope is for those who have faith. The hope of this covenant, the hope of the reward of this covenant is only for those who have faith. Faith is the assurance of what we hope for. Abraham's hope was for the promises of God. Abraham's faith was in God himself. Abraham's faith was not in his ability to keep the covenant. He had a God who showed him, you're not going to keep the covenant, I'm going to keep it for you. So his faith was in God himself. Well, One thing we learn throughout Scripture then is that the true children of Abraham and true children of the promise, true children of this family line, this Many nations that come from Abram are not by blood, at least not Abraham's blood, but are by faith. John 8 makes that clear. Jesus begins to talk to the people and he begins to call out the reality that if they were sons of Abraham, they would do the deeds of Abraham. If you're truly children of Abraham, you would love me. Because before Abraham was, I am. That's the reality that Jesus puts out there. He says that at the root of your hope, you must place your hope in Jesus. The true children of Abraham and children of the promise are those who have faith in Jesus. Because this faith is going to end up demonstrating itself in faithfulness. Just think about the people in Jesus' day as he's walking around and he's teaching, right? you got the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're the most religious people that are out there, Right? Most religious people around, Pharisees and Sadducees, you've got the high priest, all the people who got Jesus killed, right? They did not receive him as the one who had come as their Messiah, although they had the entire history of the promises, right? They could go back through the entire Old Testament. They could go back through their law. They could go back through their prophets. They could see it written there. They could not see Jesus as the fulfillment of those promises. They would not see it. John 1 tells us why. Look at John 1. We're told there very plainly why this happened. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word... Right? And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 9 tells us the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. He came to the very people who he had given the covenant to, that he had spoken the covenant to, and they did not receive him as the fulfillment of that covenant. They did not see him. The darkness had overcome them. How did the darkness overcome them? Well, it took thousands of years. And so they gave up hope. They quit hoping. They quit expecting 
what I think you see in the lives of so many in Jesus' day is a people who had lost hope. They had lost faith that God would keep His promises. There were some that kept that faith, right? There were some that still believed. There were some who were waiting in the temple just to hold the baby. So there were some who were faithful. Some who were waiting. But many who did not wait. Many who did not hope. Faith is going to demonstrate itself in faithfulness because those who lose hope will lose the ability to obey. Why would you obey God if you don't trust Him? Why would you obey God if you don't trust Him? Those who keep hope will see the promises fulfilled. John 1 tells us this. He came to His own and His own people did not receive Him, but to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I I love this. Those who received Him and believed are now sons of God, grafted into the family. Grafted into the family. But, But how did that happen? It didn't happen because they were smarter than everybody else didn't happen because they were geniuses. No, they were dead in their trespasses and sins just like everyone else. It happened by the very power of God, the will of God to make them His children. Oh, what grace that is. Isn't that amazing grace? That God would take those who are outside and bring them in, those who are far off and bring us in. See, it's these moments that we get to put ourselves in their place. We get to see that it was not by our might, not by our strength, not by our wisdom, but by His will and His power that we experience His amazing grace. There was nothing special about Abraham. His family were idolaters. God plucked him out, set his feet upon a rock, and gave him a hope and a future. He does the same with those who are given faith to believe that Jesus Christ is the promise fulfilled. Those who would receive and believe. There is hope in God's covenant because it's eternal. There is hope in God's covenant for those who have faith in Jesus. And finally, there is hope in God's covenant for the nations, including us. Remember, we're the nations. Remember, the nations aren't just the people who are out there. We are part. We're lumped in with the nations. God's covenant extends to the nations through the family of faith. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. But in that same promise, in chapter 12, in chapter 15, in chapter 17 of Genesis, God makes clear that all the nations will be blessed. How's that going to happen? It happens because nations come from Abraham's line, but it comes also because Jesus becomes the blessing for the entire world, all nations. And here's the last part of the puzzle. It happens because you and I, the new people of God, through the blood of Jesus, now take the gospel to the nations. This has been God's plan from the beginning. Not that we would all just gather in one place, but that He would gather us to spread us. 
God's plan from the beginning was go, be fruitful, multiply, inhabit the earth. People said, no, we're going to gather here at Babel and not go be fruitful and multiply and inhabit the earth. We just want to build a tall tower and be really powerful. And God says, okay, scatter. You're going to go. And you're going to keep scattering. And you're going to keep scattering because that's what I told you to do. And you're going to scatter. And then Jesus is going to come and He's going to dwell among you. The Word made flesh. He's going to dwell among you. He's going to make His tent, His tabernacle among you. And what I've done is I've taken one nation out of all the nations and made them my people to demonstrate what it is for my people to have a covenant with their God. And everybody else is on the outside but not left out. Because those people are supposed to be a light to the rest of the world. I ask you, Do we not get the great grace of Jesus and to experience that every time we gather? Amen? Yeah? Why? So that we will be a light to everyone else. The covenant is the same. The promises are the same. God's covenant extends to the nations through this family of faith. God's covenant extends to the nations through the reversal of the curse of sin and death. God takes what was finite and failing and He builds a new culture and He says, I will be their God forever. There was nothing else that was going to be forever. But God's people with their God forever. God's covenant extends to the nations through the glorification of Jesus. Think about this. God has given Him the name above every name. That at His name, some would bow, right? Every knee will bow and every tongue confess. This is the reality of the glorification of Jesus. He's lifted up on the cross and God lifts him up higher and makes him the King of kings and Lord of lords. God's covenant extends to the nations for all eternity. Just get this picture in your brain. The people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will be around the throne said in the video just a little while ago, there will be somebody from every tribe around the throne. Heaven will look very different than this. Right? Praise God. How does that happen? It happens because God makes it happen. Now my question for us is, if God's making it happen and it is His covenant fulfilled, what are you going to do to be a part of it? Here's how I'll close because I think it's important that I wrap this up right now because I, I, wa- I don't want you to miss. Okay, We are people who have been given a living hope. His name is Jesus. We do not have to just look back at Abraham and the covenant. But we can see that Jesus is the fulfillment of that covenant and now we have a living hope in Him. We are people of a new covenant that is by His blood And we stand secure there if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. You do not have to wonder about the future. It's taken care of. You do not have to worry about the past. It's taken care of. We stand secure because we have a living hope in Jesus Christ. Now, here's the problem. We still think, most of us, that the biggest issue in this world is everybody else. When what the gospel teaches us is the biggest issue in this world is you and your heart. So I ask you, do you have a hope that the world will change? 
Or would it be better to start with a hope that you will change? You see, this covenant was with a people made up of individual people. There are people that were in that original ethnic group that God made that will be around the throne and there will be people who will not be around the throne. There will be people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Not every tribe and tongue and nation will be around the throne. So I ask you, this Advent season, are we going peace on earth? Lord, that's what we need. Or can we have peace while on earth? Because we have Jesus who is drawn near. We say goodwill to mankind. Or are we the ones who take goodwill to mankind? You see, here, here's the rub. As people of the covenant, now we're people who take the covenant to others. We take all those covenant promises found in Jesus and we tell others the good news. We're not meant to gather here only. We're meant to go out there also to demonstrate that good news of the covenant. Oh, that we would be people of hope. Not just here, but out there as well. The world needs it desperately, doesn't it? And we've got it. Will you take it? Let's pray. Father, I pray that we will be people of hope. That you would root out despair and root out worry in our hearts. Lord, that we would find Jesus as our sure and living hope. That we would find your promises to be true, your covenant to be secure, because your character is eternal. Help us to be people who trust you. Lord, I long for heaven. I long for the beauty of it. I long for the glory of it. I long for the reuniting, just the homecoming time. Lord, I I long for all of that. But Lord, it's nothing without you. I long for you, Lord. Be our God. Make us your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together. We're going to read Scripture as we go, as the people of God, reminding ourselves and each other who we are, walking out with people who have a living hope into a world that needs a living hope. Let's read together. What's that? I can't, I can't read it. Okay. Well, anybody remember the verse? You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Amen.